Hey, what up? Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, centered from Reality Podcast. It is Sunday. What is it? November 12th, football day. I watched my Packers give me hope and then lose. So then I went on a quick run and then played some pickleball. And now here we are. Beautiful day, about 60 degrees, more football. But I wanted to do kind of a quick little Sunday episode talking about kind of rising extremism in the United Kingdom. I want to talk about protests and then the far right's counter-protests and how the Home Secretary in the UK is pretty much defending um, kind of right-wing xenophobia because it's not pro-Palestine. It's a mess. Extremism's going crazy. But first, I'll probably dive into this later in the week because it's really bad. But obviously, we've been focusing on chaos in the United States tragedy and chaos in Gaza and Israel, trouble in Ukraine. But also, as we know, there's been a lot of chaos, violence, there's pretty much a civil war going on in Sudan, and it does look like the Darfur region in Sudan is facing another genocide. And The Economist writes that the EU's chief diplomat, Joseph Borrell, is the one that said he believes another genocide could be excuse me, could be happening. And just a refresher between, it was like 2002, 2003-ish, and 2008, more than 300,000 people were killed in the region. And according to the EU's chief diplomat, Mr. Burrell, in the past week, apparently about 1,000 members of the Masalit, which are an African black ethnic group, were killed by the Rapid Support Forces. Now, the name is different, but as I've talked about, I think a few months ago on the podcast, The Rapid Support Forces obviously allies with the Wagner Group, so that's not great. But also it grew out of the Janjaweed militias, which were the ones that committed the atrocities against civilians in Darfur back in like 2008. Or I guess, yeah, yeah, 2008 would be the best way to put it. So this this is depressing. It's been going on for a while now, but again, the world has turned an eye on it because there are just so many crises going on right now, so... We'll have to probably break that down later in the week, but I was not happy to see that. Other thing I would say that happened over the weekend, the United States, Japan, South Korea met and agreed to pretty much enhance their mutually shared networks about North Korean missiles. This was during a meeting between their defense ministers. This was Shin Wok-sik, Minoru Kahara, and Lloyd Austin of the United States, and they A, condemned military cooperation between Russia and North Korea. They condemned Putin. They they condemned Kim Jong-un. And they are going to work together, basically, to stop the regimes from exchanging more weapons and technology. And again, this is one of the good things about the Biden administration. Yeah, the Trump administration did some of this as well. But, I mean, it is nice to know that the Biden administration is working with our allies, working on enhancing relationships with our allies during these divisive, dangerous, and bloody times. So, a little bit of good news. Anyways, moving on, I want to talk about the UK. (laughs) Apparently, we're going around the world to talk about depressing stuff in each country. Yesterday, I talked about Italy. But anyways, for a little background, basically, much like in the United States, not much different, we are seeing clashes between pro-Palestinian protesters and also far-right counter-protesters And they're kind of using the Gaza conflict and progressive backlash to Israel as a way to really unleash xenophobia and Islamophobia. And 
I mean, this is complicated. I've told you guys my views many times on the pro-Palestine protesters. I think a lot of them just want there to be a ceasefire. They care about human rights. But there's a lot of misinformed at best and kind of malignant forces inside of these protests as well. Like yesterday, was it? Yeah, yesterday I was watching a video. I think it was in New York. It was a, No, it was in New Jersey. It was a recent Rutgers grad who was going around pulling down pictures of like missing photos of the hostages that were taken by Hamas and this Jewish guy approaches her and just like hey like this person has a family and they're keeping the photo out there and like why are you ripping this down and the person just she gets this kind of teary-eyed angry look and just keeps trying to rip it down doesn't even answer and it kind of reminded me of the next stage in those college protesters that didn't want Ben Shapiro to speak or didn't want Charlie Kirk to speak on campus that were getting triggered And this just reminded me of the next step. So there's those people that irritate me, but there's also, I think, just people that genuinely want peace. So it's a mixed bag. But unfortunately, the Tory government, which is the leading government in the United Kingdom, which is led by Rishi Sunak, they are, I would say, doing false equivalencies between peaceful pro-Palestinian protesters and far-right agitators that are part of anti-Islamic groups that kind of fight, that they want to fight for a white Britain, basically. And so anyways, the home secretary of Rishi Sunak's government has been putting out inflammatory rhetoric that kind of seems to be supporting the far-right counter-protesters and is clearly using double standards here. I think The Guardian has a pretty good piece on this. It writes here in quotes, Opposition parties have been joined by Tory MPs of the liberal persuasion in recoiling in disgust at the deliberately inflammatory provocations, sorry, provocations of uh, Suela Braverman. And this is the this is the Home Secretary who is saying some crazy shit. But the Guardian article continues, expressions of horror are also to be heard from some conservative MPs that you'd associate with the tr- with the traditional right of the party. One of their number, who worked in the same government as Miss Braverman herself, Fume to the Guardian that she is, in quotes, too fucking dangerous to hold the most junior ministerial rank. And basically what has happened is that this Braverman gal, home secretary, she she wrote an opinion piece, which yeah, she has every right to do, free speech, blah, blah, blah. But as, a, as an elected official, maybe a little bit different. But anyway, she wrote an opinion piece published in the Times, London Times. And he, uh, and, and she, sorry, demonized the protesters by describing them as mobs and basically used the false blanket label hate marchers, as well as attempting a bizarre conflation with marches in Northern Ireland. Look, there, again, there is there are parts of these mobs saying hateful things, anti-Semitic things, so in one sense I'm like, yeah, that's true, but then saying all of these are hate marchers is just not true. On, on Instagram and YouTube, I have seen videos of these marches, not all of it is hatred. I think there is actually a lot of solidarity. There's even Jews marching as well. Like it's, it's more than just that. But anyways, what is worrying here to me is less her comments on that specifically, but it's more just her double standards as well as the creeping extremism that people like her are defending. And, and that's kind of the bigger issue here. So getting into why I think her comments are bad. So basically a day ago, Armistice Day, uh, November 11th, it's it marks the Armistice Treaty that was signed between the Allies and Germany after World War One. And at one of these Armistice Day events in the United Kingdom, there was a group of far-right protesters 
that were protesting against the Palestinian or the pro-Palestinian demonstrators. And they were also just dem- or protesting against demographic changes in the UK. Kind of similar to, you know, the Jews will not replace us in the US, that, that whole Charleston rally. These people were doing the immigrants will not take our jobs, our country's changing. And um, the Atlantic notes that in quotes, London, a group of black-clad men were gathered about 100 meters from Britain's most famous war memorial. They were chanting, in quotes, we want our country back, went out from refrain, followed by you're not English, you're not English, you're not English anymore. Of course, I mean, <laughs> the United Kingdom, much like the U.S., quite multicultural at this point. I, I hate to break it to these guys, but it's probably not going to go back to whatever they want. But anyways, the Atlantic has a good article that talks about this group um, one of their main chants was Tommy's Army, and apparently that refers to Tommy Robinson, which is the pseudonym of Stephen Zaxley Lennon. He's a real character, kind of Steve Bannon-like from my understanding, kind of convicted mortgage fraudster <laughs> who is the former head of this far-right anti-Muslim group, which is called the English Defense League. They always have these names that if you didn't look it up, you're like, oh, okay, that sounds all right. But anyways, the so this whole like counter-protest, all linked to this far-right, kind of Steve Bannon, alt-right-ish type of guy. And so basically you have a far-right group reacting to all of the protests going on around the world, mixing in the nativism that drove Brexit as well, the Nigel Farage type of stuff. And so I guess where this gets somewhat irritating to me is that Suella Braverman, you know, the conservative home secretary, she in statements and then in that op-ed she wrote, she warned of hate marchers. She warned of violence. She warned. Uh, she warned of radicalism. But she wasn't talking about this nativist, racist, white nationalist, anti-Islamic group. When she was talking about hate marchers, she was referring to the protest going on against Israel. Right. So back to that London Times article I mentioned. She warned about a double standard being applied to protest, and I guess she was somewhat defending this Robinson group, this racist group. And a lot of critics are basically saying her silence on Robinson's demonstration and these white nationalists suggests that she finds it a lot easier to condemn the pro-Palestinian progressive protesters than this far-right white nationalist group. And of course, this is something we see in the United States as well. I mean, again, you guys know my stance on all this. I'm not going to reiterate it again. But Of course, it seems easier for like Ted Cruz, for example, and even Megyn Kelly, which I was ashamed about, to basically say we need to put the Justice Department into finding all these campus kids that sign these pro-Hamas letters. But then at the same time, they sure weren't saying much when you had white nationalists marching and some of them were college students. You didn't hear them going out and saying we need to find these kids and get them in jail as well. So these double standards are always existent, but... It just reminds me that the United Kingdom and the United States seem to be on kind of parallel trajectories in terms of like growing extremism, radicalism, whatever you want to say. There's another piece in the Atlantic by Helen Lewis, and I think Lewis does a good job. She brings up a good point that, of course, is lost in the chaos we're seeing and the division we're seeing. She wrote in quotes here, In reality, each of the protests that I saw in London, the xenophobic one and the pro-Palestine one, contained some disturbing elements. Taken together, they showed how the conflict in Gaza is polarizing Britain and emboldening both anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. And I see this in the United States, too. Like, I 
I listen to some of these things so you don't have to. I was listening to Ben Shapiro, who I used to quite enjoy listening to. I thought sometimes he had some interesting takes. Obviously, that was a long time ago. But he was talking about how he, he was mad at Biden's administration for talking about combating anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. He was like, I don't care about Islamophobia, anti-Semitism's the problem here, blah, blah, blah. And then on the other side, you, you see, yeah, like people like Rashida Tlaib, Elon Omar, focusing too much on the Islamophobia side, but not acknowledging that there are Jews that don't feel safe in schools and in society and during these counter-protests and protests as well. And so I think Helen Lewis does a good job of explaining how, honestly, both of these protest movements right now do contain disturbing elements that put forth polarizing and dangerous ideas that put Jews and Muslims at risk. Honestly, yeah, life's at risk. And I've talked at nauseum, you know, these progressive protests, I think sometimes they just miss the point, or sometimes when you, when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And I don't think you can use the oppressor oppressed logic or worldview for everything. And I don't know if settler, I can't even say it, colonialism applies to everything here. I don't know if you can just look at everything through that lens because this is a thousand, two thousand year old conflict that now they're applying this kind of new era college progressive intersectional views to. And that just doesn't always work. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But it's a lens that I think is not completely productive in this. So anyways, I will say that it seems like these protests against Israel have kind of unlocked the perfect storm of anger on the far right. And you could even say in the, in the less extreme right. And I do think it could lead to more xenophobia in general. And I think we do have to talk about how anti-Semitism and Islamophobia are growing. But... It seems like the pro-Palestine movement is a perfect alliance that the right hates. You know, it's a mixture of anti-imperialists, critics of Israel's prime minister, Netanyahu, peace activists, trade unions, students, lecturers, pretty much everything that the right and kind of the anti-establishment right hates. So it's kind of the perfect storm here. And of course, that's what's triggered this group like Tommy's army that I was talking about. And, you know, One of my bigger issues here is the free speech element, going back to the U.S. for a second, is because, look, they voted to censure Rashida Tlaib, right? I think, I do not like her at all. She's always annoyed me. I think her her bias about the issue is very obvious. I think her from the river to the sea comments are reactionary and very in bad taste right now. But I don't think censuring an elected official is a good idea. That is also why... Some Democrats did not vote to remove George Santos from Congress because they didn't like the precedent it sets. And I don't like this precedent it sets because now what does the left do if you have like a Jewish member who maybe is really pro-Israel? Do they vote to censure him? Like, I don't like this snowballing effect and what it could lead to for democracy and free speech. Anyways, back to the, the Tory, the Home Secretary Braverman. She has just gone much further than all of this, right? Because I do think left-wing protesters are becoming useful idiots sometimes for the Hamas cause. Not everyone, of course. And I think the far right and the mainstream right are lumping everyone together too much as well. But it seems like Braverman probably should not be (laughs) one of the higher-ranking people in the United Kingdom in the current coalition government because... 
I I call bullshit. I was reading an article in The Economist that talked about how the Metropolitan Police refused to even call Tommy's army the far right. And they just called them the neutral term of counter-protesters. And Braverman was saying that the police are being too soft on the pro-Palestine protesters. They're being too soft on the left. It's just these people time and time again tell us who they are. And I think we have to believe them is that there's a soft spot for their own base, the people that they know support their side more. And unfortunately, in a lot of the West, the right has, is being bolstered up in some cases by a xenophobic fringe. And I don't know if it's because the politicians are afraid of what happens if they criticize and condemn this or if they actually agree with it. But either way, silence and the inability to call out xenophobia and kind of the idea of the United Kingdom isn't white enough, that stuff is dangerous. And if Republicans had called that out in the United States a long time ago, I think we'd be in a better place as well. And so anyways, I guess my biggest takeaway is that this entire war in Gaza has just really polarized and entrenched parties, left-wing and right-wing parties in the West. And I'm worried that unfortunately the extremes are making the moderates become useful idiots for a more nefarious cause. And that's not good. And of course, I think it's counterproductive when you see protest signs like the world stands with Palestine, the imperialists stand with Israel. That's just insane. Or a thief never becomes an owner, no peace on stolen land. <sighs> and then, you know, you hear from the river to the sea. I think this discourse is not helpful. I don't agree with the far right. I think they're just as atrocious, if not maybe worse. But it doesn't help. It really doesn't help. Before we're out of here, I did just want to briefly give an update on what I talked about yesterday. Yesterday I talked about Iran and Saudi Arabia meeting. And they basically the outcome of their dialogue is both are calling for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. The Economist writes here in quotes, The regional rivals made the statement after Mohammed bin Salman met Iran's President Ebrahim Raisi for the first time since the country's restored diplomatic relations in March. The pair among dozens of leaders from the world were at the summit. Obviously, I talked about this as well. And so I guess my big takeaway from this is obviously the calls for a ceasefire are getting louder and louder. You guys know my thoughts on ceasefire. Hamas will not probably honor it. Israel will probably. And that just means Hamas just keeps attacking. They've said they're going to keep attacking. October 7th was just the first of many, yada, yada, yada. And I think instead of Arab countries just meeting and condemning Israel, maybe they should work more on helping Palestinian refugees, taking in more immigrants, trying to do try to try to send more humanitarian aid of their own. Because it seems like right now they're just rhetorically united against Israel. I was telling my dad this last night, it seems like the only thing to bring the Sunnis and the Shias close right now is their hatred for Israel. And so I think instead of just calling for a ceasefire, which would arguably be not good for Israel, I think they should also maybe get involved in the more humanitarian side. And some of them have, of course, but Iran and Saudi Arabia calling for a ceasefire doesn't leave a warm feeling in my heart. Anyways, just wanted to talk about those things today. Have a great rest of your Sunday. Enjoy the night game if you're a Jets or Raiders fan. Probably not going to be a good game, but maybe it will be. Who knows? Anyways, we'll be back tomorrow with another episode. Probably going to focus on the U.S. domestic stuff. Um, our buddy Mike Johnson, 
stuff like that. So have a great night. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean. You guys know the rest. Adios. Thank you.